know, maybe you're joining us for the first time. My name is Stephen and also serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm so excited just to see how I think God is saying something, God is doing something. Uh, we are preaching through the book of 1 Peter. So if you do have your Bibles here, just turn to the sort of back half of your New Testament. If you've gone to Revelation, just turn back. Um, if you find Hebrews while you're turning back, just go back towards Revelation. Somewhere in the middle, you'll find the book of 1 Peter. And so apt uh, when we think about what we've just seen, because the reason why we're preaching through this book at this stage is because when Peter was writing to these disciples, they were in what is now kind of modern day Turkey, and um, these were in the Roman Empire, these were not nice, uh, a nice Christian environment, this is not, not a nice safe environment, in fact these Christians were facing uh, persecution for their faith. Nero was the emperor at the time, and he would literally take Christians, and I mean, this is shocking, but he would dip them in tar, impale them, and then light them at his feasts for kind of festivities. He would uh, take Christians, he would put wild, uh, animal skins around them and feed them to wild animals. This is what could happen to you for your faith. So Peter's writing into this context and he's saying, guys, well, what does it mean to be a Christian in this kind of non-Christian environment, especially when the environment even becomes hostile towards us? Now, Stephen, what does that have to do with us? Well, number one, there are many nations in the world that are experiencing exactly that. But number two, in case you haven't noticed, we are not living in a Christian environment. The culture around us is getting increasingly non-Christian, if not anti-Christian. Now, while none of you may be dragged out of your beds tonight for your faith, what you will experience culturally and intellectually is hostility about your faith tomorrow. Maybe you'll even experience it today in your family. And for that reason, as Peter is writing to believers in a non-Christian, hostile culture, so I and Craig are wanting to encourage you as Riverside, how do we be, how do we live as Christians in a non-Christian sometimes even hostile culture? And how do we um, even think about those who are experiencing this with far more fire than we are at this point in time? I posed the question to you last week, if you were writing to some Christians who were going through that kind of difficulty, what, what would you start off with? What would you say? What would be your opening lines? For Peter, his opening lines, and this was the sermon from last week, he was talking to them about the value of their salvation and the value of their faith. And today, he is going to be talking to them and therefore talking to us about holiness. Holiness. Now, holiness has gotten a bit of a bad rap, I believe, over the last couple of decades. When I, when I ask you to picture a holy person, I wonder what comes up in your minds. If some of you have come up from some of the more sacramental church traditions, when you think of a holy person, maybe the first thing you think of is stained glass window because holy people are dead people. Um, so we think about maybe St. Augustine or St. Patrick or St. Nicholas, uh, but those are like, you know, we don't even know who those guys are. That's a holy person. Maybe when you picture a holy person, you picture a monk, you know, kind of out somewhere eating porridge all day and, and praying all day. Um, and a kind of, you know, abandoning the things of this world. And you just can't connect with what it means to be a holy person. Maybe you picture Mother Teresa. You're like, oh, you know, she was a holy person. And, and, and she was. I mean, she really served India with such service and such a Christ-like heart and attitude. Uh, but again, you kind of think to yourself, I don't know how to do that here. 
Maybe depending on your background, when you think of a holy person, for, I know in some circles, a holy person looks like a guy wearing white suit, snakeskin shoes, and he flies home in his Learjet. Uh, so we're going to move on rapidly from there. Um, and maybe for you, <laughs> a holy person looks like someone who's just defined by a whole lot of don'ts. We don't dance, we don't drink, we don't have fun, all right? We just don't do anything and no fun zone around me. And you're like, I don't want to be a holy person if that's what it means to be a holy person. In fact, we've got a phrase for that, holier than thou, right? And I hope that today, when you think about holiness and God's call for you to be holy in your life, that you start to discover there's so much more. That you discover that holiness is something God wants for you, not from you. And that holiness is something God wants for the world through you. And it's such a powerful part of our experience of God and such a powerful part of our witness. Now, if you're here today, you've been invited or you're curious about our faith and you're sitting there and you're not particularly religious, you don't consider yourself a Christian, I just want to say to you right from the outset, number one, so glad you're here. And number two, you get a free pass today. All right, you get a free pass today, unlike those who consider themselves Christians. This is for you. This is not one like one of those YouTube ads that you just get to skip after three seconds. You don't get to skip after three seconds today. All right, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an essential part of our faith that we need to wrestle with and submit ourselves to, but it ain't going to be easy. So I'm just letting you know on the front end, so you kind of... Get ready to come with me on this journey. So uh, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, read with me 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13. And we're going to read uh, quite a long section. Stay with me and then we're going to try and unpack this. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 onwards. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope Fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedience children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who was called, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The title of the sermon series is Exiles. Some of your Bibles say exiles. Some of your Bibles say strangers, maybe sojourners. What Peter's trying to say is if we're going to learn how to live in this land, we need to stop looking to this world for our hope. We need to fix our eyes on our salvation and our faith and the grace that's going to be given to us in Christ because we are passing through this land. And God is going to use us to influence this world. But this is not where we look for our hope and our salvation. So we live as exiles, as strangers. Verse 18, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that is preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that's quite a mindful for us to wrap our minds around. But at the real center of this text are the words, be holy because I am holy. Now, as these people read this, their minds would have gone back to Leviticus where God says a number of times, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who called you out of Egypt. Now you be holy as I am holy. The, The rest of these verses are kind of motivation, maybe just illustrating what he means by that. But this is really where we're going to be focusing on this morning. So I asked you earlier what you thought of when you thought of a holy person. I want to ask you what comes to your mind in your mind's eye when I say the words, God is holy. Or what kind of gets conjured up in your imagination when you hear the words, God is holy. I know for some people it's just kind of angels, like light and maybe cathedrals or maybe you think of nature or, or space or something majestic. What does it mean when we say that God is holy? Probably the most central meaning of the word holy. The Old Testament is written largely in Hebrew. The New Testament is written largely in Greek. Whether we look at the uh, Hebrew word or the Greek word, the, the most central meaning of the word holy refers to the otherness of God. God is other. God is different. God is set apart. Now, when I say different, I don't mean different like different weird. Like, what are you doing wearing a pink shirt with red pants? What I mean is, is there is nothing like him. He is other. He is transcendent. There is, he is other in his love. There is, there is no love like God's. He is other in his creativity. He creates out of nothing. The rest of us have to create starting with at least some raw materials. He is other in his creativity. He is other in his love. He is other in his salvation. He is other in his being. He is what theologians call the ground of being. Everything else finds its being in him. We live and move and have our being in him, says Paul. God is other in his being. He is other in spirits. You and I are made of stuff. Everything in this world is made of stuff. God is other. He's different. He's set apart. And because of that, there's nothing in this world to which we can say God is like dot, dot, dots. Yes, there are some God-given metaphors to help us understand God. But at the end of the day, everything in this world is of this world. God is above and beyond this world because he created it all. So how do you look at something in creation and say God is like when he is above and beyond creation? God is other. The otherness of God. He's different. He's set apart. This is the God that we think of when we say that God is holy. And now Peter's saying, as God is holy, now you and I are going to live holy lives. We're going to be other. We're going to be different. We're going to stand out. 
Now, before we get stuck into this text, I want to talk about, it's kind of there uh, implicitly, but I want to talk about a bit of a tension in Scripture. If you've ever wrestled with this, if you've ever thought about it, maybe you never have, um, just come along with me. The tension goes like this. The Scriptures say loudly and clearly, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, when we get saved, when we become Christians, the Scriptures say, you are holy. Number one, you are holy, and then number two, now be holy. You are holy, now be holy. Well, Stephen, how does that work? Okay, let's think about you are holy. I just want you just to take a few seconds. Just look around you. Look around you. Look at the people sitting around you, in front of you, behind you. Just take a look. And, and as far as your eyes fall on a Christian, you're looking at a holy one. Uh, the words saints and holy in English are, are sound very different, but in Greek they're almost the same word. Uh, a saint is a holy one. And, and if you are a Christian and if you looked in the mirror this morning, you are looking at a holy one. All right, as you are brushing your teeth, as you are fixing your hair, you are looking at a holy one. Uh, Stephen, how does it work? And I'm, I'm by the Teresa, I'm not Saint Patrick or Saint Augustine. I don't really understand this. You know, one of the verses that stopped me in my track a number of years ago, just like we're now going through one Peter, we were going through the book one Corinthians. Now, if you know anything about this church that Paul was writing to, I mean, they were messed up. If you were at Riverside and you were going to move to Corinth, I'd say, don't go to that church. Find another one. Or drive to Philippi and go there rather. They were messed up. Listen to this. They, they were, there was some incest going on in the church and everyone was kind of boasting in it somehow. We don't know what it means, but they were boasting in that. People were getting drunk at the Lord's table. There was a Partesian spirit. Someone was saying, I'm following this guy. And other guys were saying, oh, I'm following this guy. The church was suing each other all the time. They were, there was spiritual pride. They were elevating some spiritual gifts over other spiritual gifts. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And yet, even though the church was so messed up, Paul writing to the church in Corinth and right at the beginning of the letter, he says to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Corinth, he could be saying now to the saints in Riverside, to the saints in Riverside, to the holy ones in Riverside. Just even, I'm still, I'm still not understanding. How is it I'm a saint? Well, it goes something like this. Number one, we've understood God is holy. So the Holy One, God, sends down His Holy Son who lives the set-apart life, who lives the different life, who lives the other life, who lives the life of God here on earth. He showed us what the otherness of God is like. He showed us what the otherness, uh, uh, the love of God is like. He shows us what the mercy and the grace of God is like. He lived out the other life by not sinning. And then He died the death. You and I could not die. And then He was raised to life, which is an impossibility for you and me, Jesus was the other one, the Holy One sent by God to come into this world. But the reason why he did that is because you and I were messed up in our own sin. And there was nothing we could do to reach the standards of holiness of God. So instead of making us climb the ladder of holiness, God comes down the ladder to us and he says, here's the deal. When you trust my son for your salvation, there's a transaction that happens. I'll tell you what, my son takes your sin, you take his holiness. But Stephen, that's messed up. That's not fair. No, it's not fair. 
But that's the good news of the gospel. So when God looks down at this world, he doesn't see our sin as much as we are in Christ, in the Holy One. He looks down and he sees the righteousness and holiness of his Son. So if you come to faith, that split second, God sees you as holy. You are holy. But then he says, now go and be holy. Now go and be holy. Stephen, how does that work? Um, a friend of my dad's, he leads, uh, he's been living in the States for about 30 years and he leads a large church there. And um, in fact, Billy Graham anecdotally is one of his church members. How's that for pressure? Every time you stand up and preach, Billy Graham's critting your message. Um, anyway, and... Um, if you had to speak to Don today, I mean, and he's got, his South African accent is the same today as it was 30 years ago. And last time I saw him a few years ago, he was saying, drives him crazy when South Africans come over and they've been there a couple of months and, and they just sound like every average American. And he's saying, what's going on? He says, guys, you're wasting a gift. I mean, you know what it's like. Someone gets up here to preach and they've got a foreign accent. What happens? We lean in. We're curious. We want to know your story. And something makes us lean in to this curiosity. And he's saying, God, here you are in a nation that needs to hear the gospel. You've got this gift. You were never meant to blend in. You were meant to stand out. So be proud of your South African accent. Let God use that for his glory. Stand out. He's saying that that's what holiness is. Don't blend in. Don't blend in to the culture around you. We were never meant to blend in. We were meant to be other. We were meant to be different. We were meant to live out our holiness. Now let's go back to 1 Peter. If we think about 1 Peter, again, writing to some believers wrestling. What does it mean like to live in this non-Christian, hostile culture? Questions that you and I should be asking of ourselves every single day. Let's think about the culture we live in. As we think about holiness, probably, and I know many uh, religious and non-religious people would agree with this statement, probably the greatest cultural value at the moment is autonomy. What does autonomy mean? It means, hey, you're your own boss, all right? You're your own boss. No one gets to tell you what to do. No one gets to tell you what to think. No one gets to tell you how to live. You're going to be happiest when you take charge of your own life. And it's not surprising, as often happens, that the cultural value that is growing in our world is growing in the church. We've just got a bit of a Christianese version of it. It goes something like this. Just by the way, there's a lot of truth in this. It's only half the truth. It goes like this. You know, Jesus loves me so much, which he does. And Jesus accepts me so much with all my sin, just as I am, which he does. And that needs to be powerfully proclaimed. But then it goes like this. As we import the value of autonomy. But, so Jesus loves me. Jesus accepts me. Powerfully true. But no one gets to tell me what to do. No one gets to tell me how to live. No one gets to challenge my decisions. No one gets to challenge my lifestyle. I am happiest when I make my own decisions. Doesn't Jesus want me to be happy? So therefore, doesn't Jesus support all the decisions I make for my own happiness? Isn't that maybe a reflection of some of our own hearts or some of what we've seen around us? 
And I believe this comes from a weak understanding of our grace and our salvation. Jesus kind of died to, to make me feel good about myself. Jesus died for my happiness, uh, the, the way it's often spoken about it, and I'll be generous here. I think there's, there's a lot of good in this. A, a lot of us might talk about our salvation in the following terms. We might say, you know, it's, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was drowning in my difficulties. I was drowning in my sorrows, and Jesus came and he saved me. And I get that, and I understand that, but here's the truth. The truth is you were not drowning in your sorrow and your sin. You were dead face down in your sorrow and your sin. And Jesus came and gave you life. Jesus, Ravi Zacharias says, Jesus didn't come to make dead people, sorry, bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That is our salvation, which is why that's where Peter starts. Think about your faith. Think about the value of your salvation. So how is grace rightly understood? To help me. Because I need a lot of help. I know you would agree with that. <laughs> to help me, I've developed this axiom. Just to keep in the shade of narrow, it goes like this. Grace accepts scandalously. And grace transforms radically. Just think about that. Grace accepts scandalously. There's nothing you can do to outsend God. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've got in your uh, debit account against God. You are forgiven the second you trust Him. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. You are holy. Grace accepts scandalously. And grace transforms you radically. Grace uh, accepts you scandalously. You are holy. Grace transforms you radically. Now be holy. Now be different. Let the grace of God transform you. God loves you so much. He's not going to leave you where he found you. He's going to conform you to the image of his son. You are holy. Now be holy. The way these verses say it. He says, Again, a kind of a weak, cheap understanding of grace. For you're not bought with perishable things. It's not like God is up there and kind of waved a magic wand just to sort of get you saved. He didn't take a blank check and kind of write an amount in there with your name on it. Because that would have cost him nothing. For the God who's got everything, that would have cost you nothing. What did grace actually cost God? It cost him everything. For you are not bought with perishable things like gold or silver. You are bought with imperishable things. With the precious blood of his own son. Your salvation cost God everything. It comes free to you, but it comes so costly to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a German theologian and pastor who opposed the Third Reich and Hitler and uh, for that reason was imprisoned and ultimately hanged for his faith. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he was just trying to get to grips with this kind of easy believism versus what, what now he's living out. So, you know, I'm in prison because of my faith. I may die because of my faith. And he's got a couple of quotes that I'd like to read to you just as he talks about cheap grace versus costly grace. He says, cheap grace wants justification of sins without the justification of the sinner. Meaning, God, forgive me, don't change me. 
cheap grace is grace we bestow upon ourselves. It's kind of like, yes, Lord, just give it to me, but it is grace without a price, without costs. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. We want it easy. It's because we think it is easier for God when it costs them everything. And that is the foundation upon which we, we, we stand on when we talk about I am holy and now be holy. So let's let this text teach us what it looks like to be holy. And, and just bear in mind, I mean, we're zooming fast through this text. Uh, there's so much more that we'd like to say. But number one, holiness is thinking differently. Thinking differently. Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Verse 22 talks about knowing and obeying the truth. Verse 23 talks about being born again by the word of God. Holiness is thinking differently. So, so Stephen, how can I grow in thinking differently? Well, it's quite easy. See, the transformation of your minds looks like this. Just agree with God. Just agree with God on everything. Most of us agree with God when he agrees with us. And we find it difficult when he opposes us. And I don't care who you are, what time zone you're living in, or what culture you're from, there's going to become a time and place when you love what God's saying, and there's going to be a regular time and place where you're not enjoying what God's saying to you. But somewhere, somehow, God's word is going to challenge you, and you've got a choice. Am I going to choose to agree with God on sex or not? Am I going to choose to agree with God on marriage or not? Am I going to choose to agree with God on finances or not? Am I going to choose to agree with God on salvation and sin or not? Am I going to choose to agree with God on mission and purpose or not? On hope or not? Every single one of us faces that. I want to encourage you just to learn the habit of agreeing with God. The way I do it, maybe it helps you, is I do it in prayer. Is, is I look at the things that God says about himself. Even the things that I find maybe easier to agree with. Lord, you are. Lord, just to think of some of these verses. You are holy. You are set apart. This is what you say about yourself. You are beyond. You are righteous. You are perfectly righteous. And you've given me holiness at the cost of the precious blood of your son. Say it in prayer, just so it goes from head to heart. But then there's going to be times when I'm going to have to agree with God on my sin. You know what? It's easier just to kind of say, oh, okay, God, you know what? Messed up again, amen. No, no, no. Let's agree with God. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it adultery. Let's call it lying. Let's call it deceit. Let's call it pride. It's not so that you feel condemned. It means you're agreeing with God and suddenly I realize the need that I have for his salvation and then I go back and I start agreeing with God and Jesus, you paid for my sin. You paid for my lying. You paid for my deceit and it is yours, Jesus. It is yours and you give me grace. Just agree with God. Easier said than done. But we're going to start thinking differently. And the more we pray that, and the more that we confess that, we're going to start to think differently as we become holy, what we are. So we're going to think differently. Number two, we're going to act differently. Our holiness is going to impact our behavior. It's going to impact our character. This, how is it coming out of this passage? Uh, verse 13, be self-controlled. Verse 14, as obedience children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. 
Verse 22, obey the truth. You want to get someone living in 2018 upset? Use the word obey. Right? So practice thinking differently. I agree with you, God. I'm going to uh, think differently. Chapter 2, verses 1. Rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Being holy means we're going to act differently. We're not going to blend in with the culture around us. We're going to stick out. We're going to show them something else. People are going to be curious about how we act and how we live. We're going to act differently. I want to point something out here. In case you haven't figured this out yet in life, this isn't easy. In fact, uh, very often the language we would use for um, not being holy is, I I, I fell into sin. I I slipped up. Kind of like it wasn't my fault. I I slipped up, I fell into sin. Here's the truth. No one's slipped up accidentally into righteousness and holiness. No one's gone, hey man, I have no idea how this happened. (laughs) But you know, one day I was just sinning and going mad. The next minute, I was so holy and so righteous. Why do I say this? Sin is always the easy route. Righteousness and holiness is always the hard route. It's always swimming upstream. It means it's going to take intention from us. It's going to require us to be active when it comes to our holiness. If you want to stand out. Because you know what? It's so much easier just to look around us. Again, we live in this culture and just fool us. Well, everybody's doing it. You know, it's okay for me to have that much skin on my Instagram posts because everyone's doing it. It's okay for me to drink that much. Why? Because everyone's doing it. It's okay for me to cheat on my taxes on my wife because everyone's doing it. If we're going to be holy, like God is holy, we're going to live standout lives. We're going to create curiosity about how we live and we're going to act differently. We're going to live boldly. We're going to be other. And finally, we're going to think differently. We're going to act differently. And thirdly, we're going to love differently. When it ever comes to love, the two greatest commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. Love God, love others. Love God vertical, love others horizontal. I just want to see how this is all at play here in these verses. Verse 13, set your hope, meaning set your passions, set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. Vertically, love God. Verse 22, have sincere love for your brothers, loving each other deeply from the heart. Horizontal, loving your neighbor. Chapter 2, verse 2, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you can grow up. Crave the things of God. Crave the things that only He can give to you. I mean, I was, when I was reading this verse, I was just thinking about my little kids. You know, there's a little thing they do with their mouths. They kind of root for the bottle. They root for the tea. They, they just want that spiritual milk. And you and I need to be in that position where you're like, I cannot live without the pure spiritual milk that God alone can give me. Vertical, love the Lord your God. Two verses three, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, when you love something, I don't have to command you. It's like a, 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 a wife saying to her husband, kiss me. Now, you can go, I don't want to kiss you. Or you can go, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I get to kiss you. You don't have to command me to eat a steak. You don't have to command me to go fishing. Why? Because I love it. 
You see, and here's the difference between the Pharisees of the New Testament and maybe our own lives and maybe some of the role models we've had where there's been this external holiness, but an internal barrenness. And God is saying, man, true holiness is of the heart. Man, you walk the face of the earth going, God is good. I crave his good things. I want him and his glory alone. And for that reason, I'm going to live this out radically by loving differently and acting differently and thinking differently. But I have to end off as we start wrapping this up with this. Because I know right now you guys probably feel like you're at the bottom of a massive hill. How are we going to do this, Stephen? And I want to tell you this. You're not going to do this alone. You're not going to do this alone. The way Paul says it, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I mean, the God who gave his son for you is the God who gives himself to you for your holiness. It is God who acts in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we find this so confusing though. Okay, if it is God who works in me to act into will and according to his good purpose, when I mess up, which is all of us, is it my fault or God's fault? Because Paul says it is God who works in you to act into the world according to his good purpose. Well, I'm going to put another verse on the screen for you. Or it won't be on the screen, just listen to this. Paul says, I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that works within me. So in other words, I am going to work. I am going to bleed. I am going to sweat. I am going to act with intention. I am going to think with intention. I'm going to love with forceful intention. But I'm going to look back and realize, wow, that that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was God who did it. I know some of you are still confused. (laughs) How does it work? Help me. You know, a metaphor that helped me the most is this. For many of us, when we think about our holiness, when we think about our personal transformation, when we think about getting rid of certain sins in our lives, I think many of us have a metaphor of a rowing boat in our minds. Meaning if I'm going to get from here to there, it's up to me. If I'm going to quit being addicted to blank, you can fill in the blank. If if I'm going to get over some of my own personal issues and some of my hurts and some of my concerns, it's up to me. So I'm going to row the boat to get from here to there. But guess what happens? You get so far and you're kind of like three rows forward, five rows back, two rows forward, ten rows back. And then we suddenly realize, no, 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 that can't be how it works. It's not up to me. We've heard the slogan, you know, give up and get God. Okay, so no, God is up to you. So then we jump in the speedboat. Get out the rowing boat into the speedboat. What does the speedboat mean? I get to sit down and God does the work. All right, so as you know, every now and again, God, I just pray that you're still doing this thing. So if I'm going to get from A to B, it's because of God. All right, and guess what happens? We fall, we slip, we fall, we slip, and we go, oh, 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 back into the rowing boat. It must be up to me. Oh, that doesn't work. Back into the speedboat, it must be God. No, 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 that doesn't work either. And many of us live in that cycle from day to day. So Stephen, help me. What helped me was the metaphor of a sailboat. I don't know if you've ever watched the Cape to Cairo race. Or Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, whenever you see a guy on a sailboat, man, these guys work their hands to the bone. These guys are kind of working on the boat 14 hours a day with very little sleep. These guys are enduring. These guys are bleeding. These guys are sweating. These guys are intending. But if you had to say someone who does the Cape to Cairo, how did you get from Cape to Cairo? They wouldn't say, well, I got us there. No, the wind got us here. I want to suggest to you, 
We're going to work harder than all the other people around us, but not I, but the grace of God working in me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to work. I'm going to intend. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to sweat to catch the wind. And I'm going to do everything in my power to catch grace. I'm going to do everything in my power to abide in the power of Jesus Christ because he's the one who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm going to work. I'm going to intend, but not I, but the grace of God who works in me. I think leaving today, every single one of us, I want to say to you, I think we can decide to work harder. Not thinking that your work gets you anywhere. I want you to work harder to push into Jesus. But I also want you to trust God more. We're going to work harder to trust Him and we're going to trust Him more. Folks, I want to ask that we're going to spend some time in prayer. I know that when it comes to something like this and you can start closing your eyes, this is an uncomfortable space for us to be. (laughs) We realize just how far short we fall. And that is not for our condemnation at all. That is not of God. The reason why God brings us to these moments of truths is for clarity. And truth is always our friend. And the truth of where we're at is always going to push us into the way, the truth, and the life. I know for some of us, we're just so aware of the, the lack of holiness that we live. I know so, so many of us are aware of maybe the resistance in our hearts to pursue lives of holiness. Maybe you're realizing that you're not saying taste and see that the Lord is good, but you're saying taste and see that my son is so good. And just finding it so hard to let go. Maybe you've had a caricature of holiness in your life and you're like, I don't want to be like one of those guys. And you've realized today that there's a fresh call in your life to be holy. Maybe for some of you, you've kind of thought to yourselves, man, I'm so far from God, I could never achieve God. And you heard the good news this morning that in Christ, you are holy. Not because of your works, but because of His. And living it out is something God wants for you. Just in the next 30 seconds to a minute, I want to allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. To reflect back to you where you're at and what you need.